Glad you could join us today. My name is Daniel Cavanaugh, and I'm here with my dad, Charles. This is Crosstalk, the gospel for today and beyond. We're in pursuit of growing in our understanding of the gospel and discovering what it means to transfer to the next generation. And we are keeping in line with our study on passivity uh, this week and also keeping in line with the kind of the biblical characters that we've been studying. Right. We've seen bad examples, negative examples. Now we want to flip over and look at uh, examples, biblical examples of those who give us an alternative to passivity. Right. What does it look like to be biblically forward, if you will? Right. <laughs> you know, what does it right. mean to be biblically uh, assertive in the right way? Right. Um, and so, three people we want to look at: one is Samuel, one is Paul, and then obviously Christ. I think is one right. that we could look at and learn from. Greatly, he so. was the ultimate proactive leader. <laughs> yes, no, absolutely, uh, and and understanding and full of grace. I think often we talk about that, and we'll get into this. You know, well, we want to be gracious, we want to be kind. Oh, he was. Yeah, you know. But he also was very, yeah, clear. So jumping in here, we're going to look at Samuel, um, and let's just kind of how does he give us an alternative to passivity? Well, Samuel uh, becomes the. Uh, prophet and priest of Israel, and he replaces Eli, who was very passive. He was a passive father. He was a passive leader among the people of God. And Samuel, God brings him in and pretty much trains him under Eli himself and creates a situation where Samuel uh, was leading uh, when Saul became king. The people demanded a king. And Saul is the person who look at the couple of chapters that we see um, we've just moved out of the period of judges, so you had these judges leading and helping overcome enemies when the people of God have been disobedient to the Lord. Now we have a prophet and a priest who's acting kind of as a governor and a judge too. So the people ask for a king and we get Saul. And a couple of incidents happened that give Samuel the opportunity to illustrate for us, for the people of God, proactive leadership, non-passive leadership an alternative to passive leadership. And one is in chapter 13 of 1 Samuel, the other is in chapter 15. Chapter 13 was an instance in which Samuel had promised that he would be in a certain amount of time with Saul before they went into battle. Those, that time passed, it was the last day, and Saul got tired of waiting, and so he did something that might not seem all that big a deal to us, but he intruded into the priestly office asked for a sacrifice, took it, offered it on an altar. About that time, Samuel shows up. He said, what in the world are you doing? Right. second one was in chapter 15, in which the people of God were supposed to deal with a king by the name of Agag, who was a king of the Amalekites. The Amalekites had been extremely vicious. Agag and his people had, had hewn women, mm. ripped open women, had just slaughtered, and, and it was horrible. And... Uh, God had instructed Saul through Samuel, go in, wipe them out. Total wipeout. Right. What we would call genocide. Right. And uh, Saul took the, them in. They didn't wipe everybody. Didn't kill Agag. And saved some of the sheep and so forth back. So that, those are two instances. It'd be almost like not killing Hitler. Yeah, except that except that in our day, we would probably have a trial and all right. that. It, obviously, it's cut and dry. This is a military thing. 
right. this is the enemy. He's done all these bad things. And it was commanded by God. So. Yeah. We're not going to have a, <laughs> the ultimate court A jury here. We're right. gonna, yeah. But yeah, it, it's it, it would be similar in its intensity and emotion. And so in chapter thirteen and fifteen, we see a couple of things that that Samuel dealt with that leaders and we as Christians ought to do with and not be passive about. One, we see how he dealt with pride. When you look at what Saul did in chapter 13, when he stepped into the priestly office, he was basically saying, I can do this, I'm good enough to do this, I don't have to wait on the priest. You know, he did. And he, and in the other sense, uh, in the other time, when he uh, failed to uh, failed to do what God said about Agag and the and the people there, and the, the sheep and the cattle and all that. He was prideful enough to say, what I decide is more important than what God has said. Both times, which is the essence of sin, by the way, we think what we think is more important than what God says. So he, he deals with pride, and Samuel also deals with presumption to, step, presumption to step into the priestly office, to refuse to kill someone that God has condemned and he as king has the authority under God to take care of. He's pre- he is presumptuous before the Lord. So I think it's it's interesting you bring up the issue of pride and also presumption. But I, I, pride is one of those things that I feel like is is very difficult to approach. Um, partly because it's not always cut and dry. Sometimes it is. But sometimes it's very... Um, yeah, it's deceptive. It's nuanced. You know, there Why are, don't we struggle with it ourselves? Right. Or, yeah. Right. But it's interesting that Samuel was not afraid to tell people what God has said. And right. he was not intimidated right. by Saul at all. He was a much bigger person. Uh, he was larger figure. in stature. He right. was the king. I mean, yeah. he had so, army. <laughs> so that should be, I think, a lesson to us that doesn't matter what situation right. brings about. This, this is something right. that has to be dealt with. When we're talking about the people of God, we're talking about the name of God and the glory of God, the will of God. The Word of God. There's no place for human pride and human presumption. We must be active in addressing these issues, and Samuel was. Yeah, so we look at Samuel, um, but now we kind of move from the Old Testament into the New Testament, which I don't feel like we've spent a ton of time there when we look at the characters. Um, And maybe the first person that comes to mind is Paul. I often say this. I don't know if we as a church people a group of God's people would have liked how Paul dealt with things. <laughs> I mean, he was pretty forward. In yeah, how he it's approached. interesting that Paul could be very confrontational when he had to be, but he had a, a very weak and contemptible appearance. He says in one place, I think maybe in Galatians, we're going to look there at this instance, that uh, he quoted people as saying, well, his letters are heavy, but his appearance is contemptible mm-hmm. and weak. But he, he did say in one instance, uh, you know, if you don't deal with this situation, when I get there, it's going to be much worse. Right. So he he may have appeared weak and contemptible, but he wasn't weak and contemptible. He right. was he was very active and not passive. In this particular instance, we have a situation which Paul describes what happened in a co- confrontation with Peter. <clears throat> Peter is the apostle to the Jews. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. There's this tension in the church over what Gentiles have to do to actually be saved, to be considered converted people, part of the church. Do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to do this? Do they have to stop eating certain things? And all that's going around. And Peter, uh, when the Jews, or what Paul calls the circumcision, are not around, he's, he eats with the Gentiles and fraternizes mm-hmm. with them. When they showed up, he didn't. And so Paul describes to the Galatians how important this is. 
I don't think Paul would have just told a bad story on Peter. There was a purpose in this. We're going to see what it was. We see, uh, we see how, how Paul detected fear in Peter, and most specifically the fear of man. Because he says he feared the circumcision. That's why he quit eating with and going to the houses of Gentiles. He feared the circumcision. It's fear of man. And, you know, we can't be passive about the fear of man. The fear of man brings a snare. Mm -hmm. Paul addressed that. We as the people of God, if we see that in our leaders and ourselves and others among us, it's something we need to address. Our wives should have the freedom to address to us if we're fearful of what people think more than what God has said. Our, our husbands ought to have the freedom to do the same thing. We ought, you know, um, we ought to take this thing seriously, and Paul did, so much so, that he, he went right to Peter, and he detected him the sphere of man. Then we see how he defined the problem with Peter. In the passage, he actually describes it. I saw that Peter was willing to do one thing in one place and one thing in another. You know, something that I've experienced before, both personally and I've seen in interaction with others, is that when we do, and I put quotations around rebuking, we're not often really good at defining what we're talking about. So we we'll say, well, I'm sensing this in you. And it's like, okay, well, can you give me some Yeah, examples? help me see it more clearly. Right? Yeah. And they can't do that. And, and that's something we need to be able to. If we're going to be active and not passive with brothers and sisters in the church, we're able to be able to define what we're talking about. Peter, uh, Paul said to Peter, uh, if you are a Jew and you live after, you live like the Gentiles, and not as the Jews, then why are you compelling Gentiles to live like Jews? And why are you doing one thing in one place and one thing in another? Let's get this, let's put the cards on the table, so to speak. So Paul defined the problem with Peter. And then we see that Paul defended the faith to Peter. It's interesting. Why would he have to defend the faith to Peter? Peter was was in this game long before Paul was. I mean, right. he was no Johnny-come-lately. He knew the Lord. The Lord had rebuked him on occasion. And he had led the church in those early days, defining the gospel, preaching the gospel, repent, be baptized for remission. It's all these things. And Paul says, this is a matter of gospel purity. Well, and I, th- I think that kind of brings at the core of what we're doing anyway. When we're, when we're rebuking people, it's not... We- I mean, at least it shouldn't be, and then it's wrong motive. We're not doing it to promote ourselves over someone. We're or doing it just to defend we the faith. Yeah. We are doing it to defend the name of Christ. And, and I don't think, I think that alone gets lost. It's not just correcting a bad, <clears throat> we want to correct, but we're correcting with purpose. That's where the definition comes in, and that's where, when we're defining it, we'll ultimately have to define where we have wavered from the truth. Paul says to Peter, uh, Paul says regarding Peter, when I saw that they did not walk uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. The gospel was at stake here. The mm-hmm. truth, the church, the, the work of the church, the will of God is at stake, then we need to do something. And so Paul dealt with someone who was on a par with him. He was a leader. Paul was not like the only guy here. So uh, I think that's significant. Well, know? and we're seeing a pattern here. Um, someone who was neither intimidated nor afraid to tell people the truth. Yeah. Now, I did ask you that question, you know, and I don't think we can really answer it clearly. It takes wisdom to engage in this, but there are times where you feel like when you rebuke somebody or have the opportunity, you're not really sure they're going to receive it, and, or they're open to receive it, and then it ends up causing more confrontation and, and problems in the long run. How do we deal with that? I think if you don't have 
we use this term a lot of culture in the church in which the truth is more important than anybody's feelings mm. then if people's feelings are more important than truth then you're not going to have any backup you're not going how to they're have going to respond how they're going to yeah, yeah. and, and then no nobody's the church is not going to stand with you on the truth so I think we have to discern where our church is, where people are. I don't think that's the only reason we don't say something. Right. I mean, Jesus talked about casting your pearls before swine. People are going to reject what you say. But let's don't use that as an excuse. Let's prayerfully look. Let's prayerfully look at the body. Let's ask the Lord for help to make a wise decision. And let's proceed. Is our motive the good of this person? Is our motive for the good of the church, for the glory mm-hmm. of God? We probably ought to move ahead, graciously, kindly, biblically move ahead. Okay, so finally, we come to Christ. Um, obviously, we're talking about a, a perfect human being, the only perfect right. human being. So, but he is. But how did he display this? He's our leader in this, right? Yeah. Well, we see a couple of things. We see something about how the Lord dealt with hypocrisy, and we see how He dealt with immaturity. Uh, first, hypocrisy, and that's the one we all like because we see the Pharisees and they right. were fakes and they were rigid, religious leaders. Everybody likes to jump on that. Well, it's and true. it's interesting, the, the Pharisees get used so much as an example within the church. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think it's a valid example, but sometimes it can be overused. They were within the Christian com- or the, right. the religious community, the Jewish right. community. And uh, he called them a brood of snakes, the Sadducees. You know, he he addressed her hypocrisy. You hypocrites, you brood of snakes. Um, he uh, he also addressed uh, hypocrisy with the money changers. They were just using the sacrificial system as an opportunity to make a buck, a bunch of bucks. Mm-hmm. And he twice tore up the tables, overthrew the money changers. So, I mean, that's the. Uh, there aren't too many times when we ought to be tearing people's property up. Yeah. But that's not the point. The point is he addressed the issues. He addressed those. In, involved. He didn't ignore. He wasn't passive about it. The other is his dealings with his own apostles or his own disciples where he addressed how he dealt with how he addressed immaturity. Um, and I think, uh, and there were a lot of times when Jesus addressed their immaturity. So you can read through the synoptic gospels and through John right. and you can see that. But in, these, in this particular instance, the disciples were discussing among themselves who would be greatest in the kingdom. They're still assuming it's going to be this earthly kingdom, and they want to have a right. place at the table, and a big place. And uh, which and is natural for all humans. That's what we we want. Where's our place? Where are we right. going to sit? You know. And I would like to be more important than you. Yeah. So, so Jesus, they were they, as they were walking along the way. The disciples are discussing this, and later, Jesus says, "What was it you were discussing along the way?" <laughs> that would have been I easy. find that very funny. You'd put ourselves in his position. It would have been right. easy to ignore. Ah, it'll work out. They'll work it out. Yeah. You know, Jesus, being the Lord, did not. What were you discussing along the way? And and, and I think it's in Luke. He says, uh, uh, it says, and perceiving the thoughts of their hearts. Hmm. Now, there are a lot of times we know things, we don't say anything. Why? Because it's easy to let it slide. Right. I mean, everybody struggles with the same thing. What we see here. Christ exemplified for us, and Christ is far more than our example, but he is certainly that, um, is that we don't let important things slide. And why he was not it? general in how he did it. Right. And he, he so could, even oh, though he did it, he could have done it in a very general way. Exactly. He could have said later, you know, we really need to watch our attitudes. Right. 
Well, sure. We all need to wash our hands. Yeah. That's easy. Yeah. But he said, what were you talking about? <laughs> Can you ima- I cannot imagine the look on those guys' face when yeah. he said, they're all like, what the? Yeah. <laughs> hey. hey. Somebody who sent him, who sent our mail to him, you know? Right, right. Um, who who snooped? <laughs> this now, Jesus did not, to use a modern phrase, get off on making people uncomfortable. No, he didn't get his jollies by buttonholing people. This was for their good and for the glory of the, of the Lord, and so that's our motive. Well, it, was, it had a lot of implications. It had church implications. It had gospel implications. He's preparing them to lead this church as yes. yeah, yeah, exactly. So if we want a pure church, a holy church, the glory of Christ, the gospel to go forward, these things matter. We can't let them slide. Our leaders can't let them slide. Mm. We, uh, if you're a pastor, if you're an elder, you can't let these things slide. We've got to address these things. Mm-hmm. And uh, do we do it all at once and all by ourselves? No, we've got to start doing it. We've got to start right. somewhere. We need to start soon. So passivity. Next time we get, we're on, we want to talk some more about how to address passivity in the church. And, and you and I talked, you made this comment, really, when it comes down to it, passivity is the issue in a lot of, in a lot of our problems in the church. Yeah, whether it's leadership, whether it's... Uh, communal fellowship among the people just not caring people of God yeah, yeah it, it, it's it's either way so and unfortunately we're out of time right but we're going to pick this back up next week and More we're going to talk about yes. it again so uh, very good and and we are very grateful for people joining us so we do look forward to being with you next week Crosstalk is a production of Vision for Living Ministries this is a free resource but if you would like to support us you can do so by visiting visionforliving.org forward slash support For more information on Vision for Living Ministries, visit our website where you will find other resources including our blog. You can also find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash free4l. We would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at visionforliving.org or send us a message on Facebook. Join us next week on Crosstalk, the gospel for today and beyond.